Ladies and gentlemen, how do you are listening to the Synapse Films Podcast, a journey into the world of Synapse Films. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Susie Banyan decided to perfect her ballet studies in the most famous school of dance in Europe. The killer is coming. The killer's gonna get you. I'm just crazy about this store. I've been expecting you. You thought Iron Maiden was a heavy metal band. <laughs> I'll drink my flavor. Welcome to the Synapse Films Podcast. I am Timo Sabin. Some folks in the horror community know me as Timo. I will be your host on this journey into all things Synapse Films. Greetings, friends, and thank you for joining us for the second episode of the Synapse Films Podcast. First up, we'd like to thank everyone who listened to the last episode. Uh, Thank you so much for the support and for tuning in once again. A couple of things I wanted to mention here before we get started. Synapse Films will have a table at Flashback Weekend in Chicago, July 30th to August 1st. Go to flashbackweekend.com for all the information and details you may need to attend. And then you can come and visit us at our table and say hello to us. I will be there. Jerry Chandler, Don May will be there. I do believe even Ryan Rock'n'Rollson, who was on the last episode, will be there in attendance as well. So looking forward to that for sure. Also want to mention, if you'd like to send a question or comment uh, to the podcast about the podcast, Uh, My email address is tim at synapsefilms.com. Tim at synapsefilms.com. Shoot any questions, comments you may have. Please keep them civil. Please try to avoid asking questions such as, where is my order? I I don't know. You can call the offices uh, during business hours, or you can email the company website as well to get those kinds of questions answered. But again, if you have a comment or a question directly related to the podcast, by all means, Tim at SynapseFilms.com. Okay, so now we have that out of the way. This episode of the Synapse Films podcast, I'm going to be speaking with Jerry Chandler once again about the films Real Zombies and the cult classic Street Trash. You also get a little taste of the mental torture that Jerry Chandler puts me through as he makes an announcement, basically just to me, because by the time that this was ever going to go out, everyone was already going to know about uh, these films that were being released. But this is how Jerry let me know uh, about the upcoming 4K releases that Synapse will be putting out. So hope you enjoy that. And finally, we welcome in very special guest, my good friend, Mark Diamond, a.k.a. the Fresh Prince of Darkness from the band The Dwarves. And we discuss street trash in depth as two movie nerds. So let's get started, as always. And let's check in with Synapse Films co-owner, Mr. Jerry Chandler. I think they might kill me if I tell them what I know. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Timo. What's happening, brother? Hey, not much. How you doing, buddy? I'm hanging in there, man. I'm hanging in there. I don't know how, 
I'm like the cat that, you know, from the poster. I got all my claws into the branch and we're slipping, but I'm still hanging. <laughs> I don't ever want to see you hugging a tree trying to climb it at a convention. I never want to see that, Jerry. <laughs> Speaking of that, though, uh, I might have an opportunity because uh, I believe that my wife, Angie, and myself will be joining uh, the Synapse crew at Flashback, uh, which is coming up at the end of July, correct? Yes, that is like... The greatest news that makes me so happy because if there's one person in this world that's even nicer than you, it's clearly your wife. Oh, that's she absolutely true. Oh, yeah. So great. Yeah. So I but you know what? I got to be honest. You know, as I get a little older, you know, I, I'm not as crazy as I. Well, that's not true. <laughs> uh, I'm far more crazy, but my behavior is a little bit more subdued right, than right. it used to be. So. My favorite thing these days at a convention in the evening when we come back from dinner, instead of getting wasted in the uh, lobby, I like going up to your room, shooting the breeze with you and your wife, and getting wasted in your room. <laughs> right, it's, it's the adult way to get loaded, right, Jerry? <laughs> yeah, but it's fun. I mean, it's it's like concentrated fun. Instead of looking out over the crowd and, I'll talk to this person or that person i can hone in on two of my favorite people in the world yeah. so you know I, that is such good news uh that you're coming to that show and that happens to be an amazingly fun show the people who put it on uh, mike and mia are very you know relaxed down-to-earth people and you know me i love real people you know right. people who are just genuine and nice it doesn't go to their head they don't put on airs they don't hire you know, like a military staff to, to check past. <laughs> I mean, they're nice people, right. you know, and every, it, you can't go to flashback without having a good time. Plus the fact that it's in Chicago, it's a no brainer for anybody who could get there. It's, you know, right. It's, it's a ton of fun. And, uh, it, that's going to be one of, if it's not your first flashback, it'll be one of your first and you haven't done it with the synapse crew yet. So, you're in for some fun. <laughs> right. I, I haven't been to Flashback, I bet, in over maybe like a dozen years. It's been a yeah, long so time. To, to a very early one. Yes. He's been going, I believe, since his second Flashback. This next one could be his 20th, for oh, all wow. I know. But right. it's uh, it's evolved. He, they've figured out you know, the things that they got wrong over the years and the things they've gotten right over the years. And that show's just really nice. Not just that, but even the the area that it's in. When we first started going to Rosemont, it was basically a town at the end of the Midway Airport, you know, runway. Right. But over the last uh, 14, 15, 16 years, it's built up. I mean, there was one little Mexican restaurant that everybody would go to. Now there's a whole village like behind the hotel with shops and candy stores and bands <laughs> and restaurants. And it's just everything is at your fingertips. There's right. a casino in Rosemont now. There's oh, wow. It, it's just so much fun. You, you know, it used to be you would go to Flashback and you knew you were in Chicago, but you were so far away from Chicago that you never got there the entire weekend. So what did they do? They literally brought Chicago to Rosemont and 
it, it's a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun on every possible level. Right. I, I tell you, when I, I will say this, and I mean this truly. Flashback, like, especially at that time, like you said, shows have growing pains. They, they do. Like, I mean, and we've been to a lot of early shows where it's, like you said, sometimes people either they don't, Sometimes they don't get everything right the first or second time. It takes them a few shows. Flashback is one of those shows I have no recollection of anything negative at all. Not no, nothing. Like it just it was a it was a good run, decent show and this was a long time ago. And shows all all of the shows tend to get better and better and better. They get tighter and tighter and tighter because like you said everybody learns what the all the mistakes they've made. So I can't even imagine uh, I didn't say everybody <laughs> let me, let well, me clear that out. I didn't say everybody. Yeah. Not everybody learns, and some shows actually got worse over the years. Yeah. Of course, there's no need to bring up which ones right, because that right. would unnecessarily hurt people's feelings. Right. But you know, listen. You know, as we get older, we slow down a little bit. You can't. You realize you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. So, as I discussed on our last podcast. Don and I have honed into the shows that are just the most enjoyable to do. It's not even a question of where we make the most money because that doesn't really matter. Right. It's where we have the most fun because these days, you know, it's not so easy to get around anymore. You know, you slap all your inventory and all this stuff. And, and listen, we're not kids. Mm -hmm. So we have to, you know, we can't do everything. You know, we used to like to do some of the East coast shows like uh, chiller and rock and shock. It's just too physically task taxing mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago when my daughter was in college in Georgia, we even went to, we did a show in Tampa just so we could drive through Savannah and visit my daughter for a day, you know, mm -hmm. but those days are kind of, they're kind of in the past. I mean, it's just that, you know, that's, that was a two day drive for us both ways. I was going to say, yeah, that's a, that's a long drive. Well, we will be not in Savannah, but we will be in Chicago, which couldn't be as, couldn't be further away from Savannah really, but we'll be up there at the end of July. And look, here's the thing too. Uh, you, you know, you've mentioned, you know, as we get older, we don't party as much at night. I, I tend to think the party as we get older is during the day at the show. I have more fun talking to all the fans and all the people and everybody there in the room that I actually get more exhausted. That's my age showing. I get more exhausted during the day, expending all that energy talking to people. And then by the time the night nighttime rolls around, I just want to talk to comfort people. You know what I mean? Like people that I know pretty well and everything, I get a little exhausted, but. Actually, that's an excellent point you made. And I, I, I think I agree with you. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything to add to that. I, I've often sat there and said, just the act of sitting and talking to people is actually exhausting. But fun and good. And it yeah. is, it's a great, what a great way to, to meet your audience. You know, I've played music my whole life. So we play, we play gigs, we play concerts and shows. So we see our audience. And I mean, even if you're in a movie or if you are uh, releasing movies like you guys are, you still really don't get that face-to-face -face with your audience. And that's a good opportunity for people to have that face-to-face -face with you guys, too. Yeah, and I will say this. I mean, we've probably done three, 400 shows, maybe more since we started. And almost every 
fan that comes to the, everybody's really nice and pleasant. I, I can't even recall if we ever had a bad experience with a fan of the show. I've been a jerk a few times. Everybody, that's not true. Don't believe it for a second. But uh, I can't think, you know, maybe we did, but off the top of my head, I, I cannot think of a single unpleasant. I mean, there's been plenty of unpleasant incidents, but never with a fan coming up to us and giving us shit. Right, you right, know? right. So it's, it's always been very gracious, and, and, you know, people are generally really happy to see you and stuff. And they, you know, listen, everybody, I got the world's smallest ego. I'll talk to anybody, and everybody's as good or better than me. I, you know, they sometimes people will, will say, hey, Jerry, you know, I'm so happy you're talking to me, and I don't know how to answer that. Of course I'm talking to you. Why wouldn't I? Yeah, you have to you have to get to that point when you're in when you're in entertainment when you realize everyone's my boss. You know, every exactly. everyone Thank is you. and and I'm working for everyone else and if I don't work good, I don't get paid. You know, right. and so that right. it, it is it is a bit you're you're kind of a minstrel. <laughs> you know? yeah. So so you have to you have I love to, the way you you can articulate my thoughts. I'm very clumsy when I speak, but <laughs> Seriously, don't laugh. It's I, I really appreciate. That. I'll I'll follow, I'll start following you around and I'll start I'll start speaking <laughs> for you. You know, you start making grunts and click noises, and I'll just start <laughs> whatever. I'll say something and you'll interpret it, even though we're both speaking English. That works. Yeah. <laughs> right. So if you want to talk to Jerry, make sure I'm close by in case you need an interpreter, <laughs> a Jerry Chandler interpreter. I I'm I'm here all week, so we'll just I'll be there all weekend. I'll be helping out. Um, now and so uh, one of the interpretations I'll do, of course, you are going to be bringing some uh, the the wonderful product to the shows. Uh, and we talked a little bit. You've you guys are working on the Kindred. It's going further. You're hoping to have them, but we have no promises or no specific announcements yet. Uh, there is a big announcement that's coming soon, Jerry. Would you like to update the fans on that? Yes, believe it or not, I finally have some news for you. Okay. I went and I talked to Don yesterday. I said, Dim's going to be calling me tomorrow to talk about news. Can I talk about Project X? Mm -hmm. And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> but maybe by the next podcast, you will be able to. So that's the news. We could be within one podcast of real news. Isn't oh, that yes, yes, exactly. Everyone will be on pins and needles and be in suspense. It'll be like a cliffhanger. This show is going to be addictive, like lost. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll think the next episode is going to answer something, but it's just going to bring up more questions and confuse right, exactly. you even more. So, okay. Okay. Jerry, give me, give me something. We need some news here. Give me some good news. The fans at Synapse, they want to hear something, some, some good news. What can you talk about? Tell me what is Synapse doing now? Something you can talk about, please. You know, Tim, because you asked nicely. Yes. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm so weak. I am so soft and easy, easily malleable. You know, <laughs> you're like warm Play-Doh. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, before. All right. I, I'll throw. I'll throw everybody a bone. All right. Here we go. But before I do that, I will. Uh, I want to qualify what what you know I'm about to say because. Okay. We've discussed this in the past, and I just want to touch base on it again. People say things they don't really think about, and, you know, they post them online, 
And sometimes we read them and like the person never gave it a second thought, but to us, it like, it's tremendously painful to read this kind of stuff. Right. So every now and then we change the way we do things just to make those few people happy. You know, everybody else is already happy. So, right. So what we've done is, you know, and I think we discussed this last time that we're trying to get away from announcing titles and then giving them to you five years later. Right. Right. (laughs) That'll make you sweat. These days. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So these days, what we're trying to do is actually do projects and complete them and then announce them. So in this particular case, uh, again, this is not my area. It's Don's, and Don is very busy these days, so he couldn't be here. But I believe this is going to be an October release, and it's not because the projects aren't done, but it's because, you know, our distributor needs a pre-sale time. You, you can't just throw things out. Sure, your, your distributor wants a heads up before they get a, a big new title coming their way. <laughs> they want to right. let people know, right. <laughs> so I'm going to give you something that Don is probably in the process of announcing right now because it's finished okay as close to finish as it needs to be for us to announce it but again if i'm correct and don would have to verify this i don't believe it's going to street till october okay but the good news is it's done we're throwing a date at you and uh all you have to do is wait for that date. It's it's all going to be pressed and in the boxes and maybe a few lucky people who see us at the shows over the summer right you know, we tend to bring things to the shows uh, before they actually stream. The sweat you know, is pouring off of me. A, <laughs> I am not. I I was sweating bullets. A twelve gauge shell just fell out of my forehead. Give me titles, well, Tim. Tim, <laughs> have I not? Have I not actually made the announcement yet? No, Tim, I gotta go. I'll call you back. I've lost ten <laughs> pounds sitting here <laughs> from the wrong Sorry, places. So- <laughs> here's what we're gonna here's what we got coming okay uh i'm sure everybody remembers our uh, release uh, quite a few years ago of demons and demons 2 yes. well guess what folks it's now been uh redone in uh you know a 4k high def so what we're going to be putting out in october if that date is correct again don will need to verify but what we're going to be putting out is a set with Demons and Demons 2 on 4K. It's going to be a limited edition. Uh, we're not exactly sure how many units it's going to be. We're going to guess around five, 6,000, something like that. And then we're doing a second set of Demons and Demons 2 on Blu-ray. Now, the 4K... Everybody knows they're getting 4K. Why the Blu-rays? You know, back in the day, we did a great restoration of Demons and Demons 2, and we put them out in steelbooks. And again, we do that to, you know, you'll never make the money back for the restoration if you just put out a regular version. And we gave some really wonderful extras in those two versions. And, uh, then once we made our money back we put out the regular versions uh but they didn't have extras so it was a way of rewarding the people that gave us a few extra dollars to help us pay for our restoration in the meantime we have a brand new 4k transfer and all this new work why 
it's the Blu-ray set, the new Blu-ray set of Demons and Demons 2 are going to look significantly better than the old one. And so they're that, both new transfers. Both of them are, yes. are new transfers that Don worked on, the yes. Blu-ray and yes. the 4K, and they were scanned in 4K and all that. Yes. Okay. There you have it. Now, they're not going to be steelbooks, so you're not going to have to pay the extra for the steelbooks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's value-added because it's a nicer transfer, but it's a chance for those people to get some of those extras they missed, plus a chance for everybody who did get the steelbook to get some brand-new extras. Mm -hmm. Both these versions are loaded with extras to the point where Don said, we were having a very hard time fitting everything that's on these two uh, sets on the tip-on sheet <laughs> that you find on the back of a uh, steel book. Right, like a little cardboard I, fold-out that, that's on the back of the package. No, no, no. It's a it's a thin piece of paper. It's right. stuck there with a spot of glue that mm -hmm. peels off. I misspoke of the cardboard, but yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, and then you yeah. pull it off, so the, sure. The cardboard is a slipcover, and I believe... Yeah. We may even be doing slip covers for these as well. The art is stunning. It is absolutely stunning. So it is so it is new transfers, new artwork. You you're importing some of the features or the features from the old releases and you have new features on on the disc coming out. That is correct and trust me, I've left out a lot of other stuff too. I mean, we want the fans to be surprised. First right. of all, Synapse Films is not a company that the, the fans can really accuse us of double dipping. We're, we will redo a title from time to time, but only if it's a significant difference. We're not going to put out a, 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 a new Blu-ray or DVD or whatever every five years on the thing's anniversary. Just because, <laughs> well, let's make everyone buy it again. <laughs> we have a brand spy. new trailer on here. Yeah, no, right. I got you. Every yeah. time we create a disc, it's our intention for it to be the last version anyone's ever going to need. That's our goal. That's what we set out. Right. So in order for us to do a new version of a film we've already done, it there has to be a significant difference and i don't have to sell that point too hard because everybody who's listening to this i'm gonna guess is probably already a fan of synapse and they probably already know this. right and as a fan as a fan of physical media too it's good to know what you're you know, what you're getting because you're right there's so many times where you see another edition of a film that's been put out many times or something before and you look at it, you'll wonder do i buy this or do i not you know, if you're a, if you're a, a, a collector, so this is a, these are brand new releases. Yes. And they're both together, right? It's a double, it's, it's a set of both films, right? Right. Ah. And I, and once the limited editions of each are gone, you won't be able to get them this way anymore. Okay. They'll okay. be single discs. They may have some extras. They may not, but we, I will guarantee they won't have all the extras. Well, I would jump on so, that for shelf space alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but then I'll say one last thing, and this is the last thing I want to say, because really, there's a lot of this that I, I'm not super familiar with, and I don't want to misspeak. Sure. This is real Don's department in our company, and as a, a two-man plus satellites <laughs> company, Tim, right. you've been upgraded to a satellite. Oh, hey! Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, 
we have very defined roles and 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 keeping track of, of this particular stuff is not my role sure so i i don't want to say too much but the last thing i will say is a couple days ago don sent me the cover art and this is a uh, artist i believe that's only done one cover for us before i don't remember which one mm-hmm. but this guy knocked it out of the park so i called don back and i said oh my god i would buy this even if there was no difference just to have that piece of cover art it's that great very good so that's the last thing I want to say. Everybody will be able to judge for themselves and they can compare their thoughts to mine and they could gauge, you know, when I talk about something, you know, how, right. how many grains of salt they need to take. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. Well, that's great. That's awesome. So, this is, so it's new versions of Demons and Demons 2. And those movies are right up my alley. I love those because I, I like monster movies. I like monster movies. I like slasher movies and other things. But like, if it's a slasher, it's got to be a deformed guy, <laughs> you like like the Jason right. type of guy or whatever. So I love the monsters. The yes, yeah, like movies like that. I Crapsy. love. Yeah, I always say like my favorite my favorite slasher genre is the feral deformed guy in the woods. Or you better give me <laughs> monsters. I want monsters. I want some. I want sharp razor teeth and 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 contact lenses in the eyes. I would never touch in a million years. So. <laughs> Perfect. So that is real news. So that is two new versions of demons. And and to be, I'm going to be honest. I've been, I would like to see some updated transfers of of those films too. Again, because I love them to begin with. And then, of course, there's a lot of other things coming down the pike too that we can't announce. But there you go. We've got demons and demons too. And and then there's a lot of stuff that's nearing completion. That we can't announce because we're not announcing till it's complete. Right, which is a, which, which always that's that's always the hard part. It's it's right. the unknown. Right, but yeah, but I will say this: yeah, it's the hard part. It's the unknown, but we got some surprises that are going to bring smiles to the fans of the people who are listening to this. I'm already smiling, and I'm no longer sweating my bullets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, demons and demons too. In a in a, a together together again. And one and one shiny package from Sunatsum. That's awesome. 4K new restorations, 4K discs or Blu-ray. Now there's not. It's not a combo. It's either two 4K discs or two Blu-ray discs. Right. That is correct. I'm ready. Fired up. You know. So look, we joke around a bit, but you know, we were really taken to task by a lot of fans who got very annoyed when we would announce something and they wouldn't see it for a number of years. Right. So we're trying not to annoy people. You know, I I, I love dogs. I have a couple of dogs. You know, I'm not the kind of guy that waves a treat in front of my dog and then makes him do something. And then I'll give you the treat. It's like, go do something. And then I'll give you, you know, Mm -hmm. because that anticipation is kind of torture. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to torture people. But let me, let me say this. There's a number of projects that are coming to fruition. You're going to see not just one thing come out and you're going to go, finally, you might see two or three things come out within a month or two. And you might say, oh, my God, this is amazing. Also, there's things that you have no idea about that we're working on. That right. Well, let me, let me, let me, Jerry, and let me interpret what Jerry's saying. I'm going to do my Jerry Chandler interpretation now. A, here, here's something that no matter how hard 
you guys or Don works on something, the X factor is also that there are other people who also have jobs on these films. And once you hand them over to them, then you're at the mercy of their timeline. So there's also right. that added into what, let me give, what you guys are doing as well. Let me give an example. Don flies out to L.A. He meets with our colorist. They sit down and they go through a big chunk. And Don says, okay, brighter here, this, there, whatever. Then Don comes back. That guy has to make something and send it to us so Don can see that it was all done according to the way he instructed and it's right. Then it may, knowing Don, it may go to the director of photography on the film. Like, as everybody's aware, he worked very closely with Tavoli on Suspiria. He was the, the director of photography on the film. Mm -hmm. So every shot went to him and he said yeah don this one's right or no this one needs to be brighter or darker that's why we were so confident that our version of suspiria was the right one yeah so there's stuff like that and if the the guy the colorist doesn't get stuff to him or uses the wrong you know believe it or not they get to a certain point don flies in and from that point to the next point he he says what he wants he looks at whatever Sometimes that colorist will go to the wrong version, do those fixes, send it to Don, and, and Don will say, but wait, the whole beginning screwed up again. You know, it's mm -hmm. that kind of frustration. Don doesn't do the work. He supervises the work. So we're always at the mercy of the people who do the work. And they're very good. But, man... They're very busy. And the, the other thing, too, as far as announcing the films are, are keeping it a little bit closer to the vest. Not talking about stuff as well. A little personal story. Jerry calls me and, and says something like, you know, I'm close. I've got, you know, we're at this point in, in the stage of negotiating this big deal for, as you call, Project X. <laughs> you know, we, we're, we're ready to go. I don't know what he's talking about. Because the thing is, is see, Jerry's putting this on himself. If, if, if like they announced the, you guys announced Kindred a long, long time ago, and I'm sure you're kicking yourself in the head because for yeah. years and years and years, you're answering questions now. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Well, when you don't right. tell people what it is you're working on, like Project X, which you guys are very clearly very excited about, then you're actually carrying that burden yourself. Your guys are excited. You want to tell people, but it's I'm sure it's eating a hole right through you, keeping your mouth shut and not saying anything. And for me, you're doing me a favor as a fan. Right. I don't really care that much because I don't know what it is. So if I don't know what it is, it, it could be anything. It could be anything. You so, know, it's, yeah. it, it's funny you say that almost kind of in jest, but you know what? That kind of stuff does take a, a toll. Mm -hmm. You know, I... Uh, it, it, it's, it does take a toll. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. It's not easy because not everything comes to fruition. And the things that you've really invested a lot of your, your personal self into, you know, I mean, Don works really, really hard at what he does. But I also work really, really hard at what I do. If I get the movie, then Don gets to work on it. If I don't get the movie, you know, he not only does he not get to work on it but i've you know i i've invested a lot of myself what if don spent two years working on a restoration and then the film got yanked and we never got to put it out that's actually happened mm -hmm. before that's mm -hmm. pretty tough 
Mm-hmm. So it's not easy for him and it's not easy for, for me. I mean, this job, it's not easy. You really, really, really have to love every part of it. And that, again, I, I don't say any negative things about anybody, but that is one of the big differences between us and a lot of our competitors. Not all of them, but a lot of them. A lot of them are strictly interested in quantity over quality. But because we love it so much, we don't want to work on 50 movies at once. We want to work on two or three and just make them spectacular. So, right. look, that's what we try and do. I right. mean, it's a, it's a different niche. You know, it's slightly different than the, the, the rest of the pack. Well, and I know I know that you've you've gotten I don't want to I don't want to put it like you've gained the reputation of movies taking a long time to get out. But but you've definitely had a few movies that were known that took a while to get out. The diff, I think what you're I think the thing is, is when you said we learn not to announce things is that, well, how do we know that other companies haven't been working on movies for 10 years as well? They just didn't announce them and you never knew. So I think that we you're you're kind of don't. protecting the fans from yeah. that, but at the same time, that is your burden because it's like it's like being the world's greatest cat burglar. Who the hell are you gonna tell? Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you're so well, proud anyway, of your well, work, but you can't tell anybody because you just can't yet. You know what? My I'll I'll say this. My father, who's still around, knock on wood taught me one thing and i you know a couple days ago was father's day and i got to sit he's 96 i got to sit in front of him and tell him because we were talking about my business Mm -hmm. and i said dad one of the lessons you taught me from the time i was a very young person to to that day it's still at the, the tip of my tongue all the time is you know my father used to drop a poem on my desk i worked for him in the steel business for 31 years and every couple of years he'd forget that he gave it to me already and he'd drop a poem it was called the man in the mirror and i i don't know who did it longfellow or whatever it's an old old poem but the bottom line is as long as you know the the only person you really ever have to answer to in life is yourself mm-hmm. and as long as when you look in the mirror every morning you like what you see that's that's really really good and i look at that philosophically like yeah no one will ever know the struggles but i know mm-hmm. and did i did i win did i do a good job it's between me and that face i'm looking at in the mirror you know mm-hmm. at the end of the day if i'm proud of myself then that's all that really matters i'm highly competitive with myself that's what i tell people <laughs> I am because I don't want to compete. I don't, I'm not competitive with other people, but I am with me because I can only do as good as I can do. And so therefore, if I can do a little better, doesn't mean I can do as good as you or not. It just means I can, I can do better. So that's a fairly similar, I guess, way of looking at things. Um, sure. Well, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about a couple of uh, movies that we want to talk about this week. Now, uh, first up uh, a movie that you guys have had, and been selling for quite some time now. Uh, it is the 1987 cult human melting classic, uh, Street Trash. And yeah. talk to me about how did Street Trash come to Synapse? Now, is there a, is there a bigger story to this? Was this one of your first titles? No. Okay. But it came from one of our first titles, if not our very first title. Okay. It's funny you asked that question. Here's the genesis of Street Trash and Synapse. All right. About, mm, by this point, this is 2021, so I'd say close to 200 years ago. 
Don came to, you know, I've known Don since he was a kid. And, you know, he came to me. Uh, he said, hey, I got problems. I, I got to, you know, we, I want to start a new company. I want to leave Elite. Fine. And everybody knows the story of the genesis of Cynics. So move the clock ahead. We start Cynics. So I said, Don. Only thing we're missing now is a couple of movies to work on. <laughs> right. So he had a friend in L.A. who licensed us our first two titles, which were Dario Argento's World of Horror, an hour-long documentary, and a Document of the Dead, the original, which is about an hour long or so. Mm -hmm. So we did our first document, and... Even though it was sub-licensed to us from a, like a movie broker, we got a hold of Roy Frumkis, who was the producer and director of Document of the Dead, and we started talking to him. And uh, Roy is a very friendly person, and we had uh, almost my entire career relationship with him. He's been our guest at some shows, and he's just, you know... Listen, I can only speak on my experience with him, and I, I love the guy. You know, he's been a, a, a very good licensor. We never saw anything with Roy that would ever question our friendship with him. Mm -hmm. He was, is, was, and is a very nice, nice man. A little little sub sub thing here. Just want to jump in real quick. He was the person who gets the pie in the face in Dawn of the Dead, correct? Oh, the zombie. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Wow. That was that's cool. So, anyways, so we've known Roy forever, but back then we start uh, discussing things about uh, document, and we become very friendly. Mm -hmm. And he says, "Hey, you know, I got another movie. You guys might want. What's that?" Street Trash. So I already knew Street Trash because before it was ever shot, the director shot a 15-minute short version of the film mm -hmm. to try and get funding for a, a full-length vision. And the 15-minute the, uh, version became a cult film on the tape trading circuit, mm -hmm. if anyone could remember the 80s or early 90s. Mm -hmm. And that's how I met Don. So I already had a fifteen, a copy of the fifteen-minute version of Street Trip. So I said, "Oh my God, yes, I'd love to see that, and, and we'd love to do it." And so he gave it to us. And but but that's how we got it. Now, the the what people need to know about Street Trash, I don't have much to tell people because if you've been a fan of Synapse. For more than three or four years, you have a copy of Street Trash. Right. I mean, there's right. much I can tell you about it. But uh, one thing that people may not know, and it's very interesting, is Jimmy Murrow, the guy who wrote and directed it, went on to did cinematography for Titanic. So here's a good example how a young filmmaker moved, moved on to bigger and better things. He was a he's a really <clears throat> legendary steady cam. Yeah. The the, the Blu-ray, the Street Trash Blu-ray that you guys have out has a great two hour making of uh that's on the the disc itself. And I liked watching him you could see him like running down the street operating that that old steady cam, right? When they were kind of getting popular, getting out there. 
My favorite film of all time is Halloween. It's known for the steady cam opening. You know, so mm-hmm. I've always been a little uh, intrigued by that study cam. And I thought that was pretty cool how they were using it in that film. I saw a little bit of a, almost like an Evil Dead <clears throat> type of influence with the kinetic camera work. And they, and they use that camera a lot. So it's one of those deals where you could kind of tell the director really cared about the camera. You know, like really cared about where it was going. And he, I don't think he was the director of photography in the film, but you could tell he was paying very close attention, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. to what was happening too. Um, you know, he shot it guerrilla style. I don't think they had permits, at least for the 15 minute version. I'm not so sure about the second version, but you know, there were a lot of stories we were told where they would be setting up a scene and the cops were following him around because they, they knew they weren't, didn't have permits. Mm-hmm. So you know, he, what you get for for what he had to make the movie is amazing. And mm-hmm. it comes out of the film. The other thing I wanted to say is, you know, this is a typical synapse story in the sense that if you remember, maybe you don't remember, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there. We had the same deal with Street Trash as we had with a lot of movies where we announced it. And people were so pissed at us because it wasn't out. It wasn't out. It wasn't out. So you might wonder, why did you guys release two DVDs a year apart? Here's why. What was holding it it up, there was supposed to be one version. And I think the documentary you're talking about was the Meltdown Memoir, which was shot by Roy. And Roy had made Document of the Dead. So he's a very good documentarian. Right. And the problem was... He was hunting down one person from the film, Jane Arakawa, mm-hmm. and he could not find her. And a year goes by, and a second year goes by, and we go, Roy, come on. The documentary is holding up the entire release. I mean, people are going crazy. Come on. And he goes, I think I have a lot. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I told Don, we're going to put out movie only, and we're going to throw in a couple of Viper stickers. Why two? Because And let me, for the fans out there, I could have put in one Viper sticker and all I would add to pay was for the Viper sticker. But we threw in two and that meant it had to be hand-packed, which added probably another 10, 15% to the cost of every DVD just to put in the second Viper sticker. Why did I do it? I said to Don, our fans, we have a lot of fans who are nuts. And if I put in one Viper sticker, they're going to say, no, I got to leave the Viper sticker in there (laughs) to keep it perfect. I wanted people to make their own bottles of Viper. I even explained to everybody how, what bottle to use, what food coloring to put in, what, what, what. So we said, we're going to put in two. So maybe a few people will take one of the two and make themselves a bottle of Viper. (laughs) So... A year later, Roy gives up and says, I forget Jane Arakawa, here's the documentary. So we put out the two-disc version without any Viper stickers. And then years later, we did the Blu-ray, and he had found Jane Arakawa. Right. He had added her to the documentary. So the Blu-ray has at least one, I think maybe two Viper stickers, and the full documentary. And it's on Blu-ray. Well, the so, documentary, the documentary does not have her, but there's an extra interview with her, like that you guys added in. There you go. 
That was probably. I'll tell you what, she's holding up much better than me. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> she's doing really good. But it was, yeah. This, this illustrates what we spoke about earlier, how, you know, the fans don't know why things are being held up. And it, it illustrates how we work behind the scenes to try and get things to the fans. Right. It's not us. And we're it's talking about thing. street trash here, too. We're not talking about the biggest film you guys have ever put out. And this is the difficulty putting a small independent film, you know, like like that, too. Yeah, so yeah. it can only get more difficult the bigger the title, uh, you know, too. So You know, yeah. I, I would be remiss not to mention Mike Lackey, who did yes. such a great job in the starring role, and James Lorenz, who is so mm-hmm. deadpan funny. He only had a tiny role at the end, but man, is he funny. Yeah. He went on to do, he, you know, he was you know, like, quote unquote, Dr. Frankenhooker and Frankenhooker. Sure. And he had some other roles in other movies. And it's too bad. He should have He should have been bigger. I agree with that. Because, man, he's he was funny. But, I, was, I thought he was going to be another, I don't want to say Jeffrey Combs, but another personality, if not a horror star, another personality you would see, like a Reggie Bannister or something. I think he, I, I agree with you. He should have been because he was. I I like that smarmy kind of jerk off kind of uh, humor, you know. Like he was in a bubble. Yeah, he was in a bubble. He's like, yeah, screw you, and he wasn't afraid of anything. And I no. kind of like that. I mean, I really did. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Him and him and, and Tony Darrow. Real, yeah, that's the way he is in real life. Uh, He's every bit that sarcastic, if not more sarcastic. Yeah, that movie Street Trash. I was in Beaver Creek, Colorado. Uh, I had I had never seen the film before, but I'd heard of it. And it was one of you know, like if you go on vacation or something, you might at that time you'd bring like a little personal DVD player with a little screen you could pop up or whatever. And I brought some stuff that I just hadn't had a chance to look at. And I remember Angie wasn't feeling well for some reason. She wanted to take a nap. It was during the day. We were in the hotel room. And uh, right across the street from the liquor store, which was called Beaver Liquors, um, we we were in the hotel. And I watched it. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to throw this in for a minute. You've had this experience. You've told these stories, too. I'm just going to throw this in for a minute and check it out. Well, of course, I couldn't quit watching it. I was guffawed at what I was seeing. I'm like, what am I looking at? What what kind of movie is this? Yeah. What a fascinating, fascinating movie. And it's it's really gooey and gory, but it's so colorful that it's it's almost eye candy in a way. Um, and yeah. nobody acts the way humans do in the face of the earth. And I love that. A lot of fun. A lot of fun going back to watching it. Um so, of course, this, uh, Jerry, you guys still have this out. This will still be on the table if you come to a convention or you can this is still for sale on the website. I think Amazon everywhere, right? Street oh, trashes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yep. well, let's talk about uh, another one of your independent films. Now, this was a film that, I'd be honest with you, the first I heard about this was the last podcast when I was talking to our good friend Ryan Rock and Rolson. Uh, and he told, we were talking about independent films and he was talking about how, you know, you like to talk about them and like to get people to see these movies and really get them out there to people. And he mentioned real zombies. Well, being a professional, uh, broadcaster, I played it off. Like I knew what he was talking about, but I had never seen real zombies. I didn't know what it was. So me and you talked about it. You sent me a copy of real zombies and I got to put my grubby little eyes on that. 
what an interesting film also, considering these are the guys that made those zombie night movies, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, so talk about Real Zombies, how it came to you and, and, and all that. Okay, so th this is not me addressing you, Tim. This is me addressing anybody who's listening. Real Zombies, R-E-E-L, as in a reel of film, Zombies, is one of the typical Synapse films. It came to us with like a bunch of submissions. We get submissions every week, sometimes more than that. I watch everything. And 99.9%, .9 I say, mm, sorry, we can't, we really can't do this. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons is it's not always because the movie isn't good, but the indies don't sell, nobody buys them. Mm -hmm. But occasionally, an indie comes across that touches me in a way. I see genius limited by budget. And I go, oh my God, I don't care if I'm going to lose money. I want this movie associated with Synapse because I want people to know that we weren't just in it for the money. We were in it to help promising young filmmakers mm -hmm. because everybody needs more good movies. Nobody needs more crappy movies. Mm -hmm. And these guys need help. You know, you want to start off being a, a filmmaker. Let me tell you something. The odds are stacked heavily against you ever succeeding or ever, ever being anything more than a grip so it's incumbent upon us to help the younger people you know the ones with talent so i saw real zombies i watched it and it's like oh shit god damn it and don goes what's wrong i said this movie it's too fucking good on so many different levels we're gonna have to do it but we're not gonna sell any of them <laughs> anybody in this movie. just the style of this film it's not gonna whatever so what is it there's a couple of guys uh mike masters and and i think uh i forgot david francis francis yeah these two guys they made a couple of movies in canada where they really tried making zombie horror films. It was Zombie Night and Zombie Night 2. This is all reality. And they were crap. They didn't have any money. The writing was pretty terrible. The acting was real terrible. And look, since Night of the Living Dead, we've seen what about a gazillion zombie movies. Oh, yeah. And I used to love zombie movies, and now my bowels clench. <laughs> You know, there's one on Netflix now with uh, the, a big director and big people, and they're going to Vegas because the Vegas is all zombies, and uh -huh. they're breaking in to steal the gold. And I keep trying to watch it. I can't get through five minutes of it before I just want to poke my own eyes out. <laughs> right. But then something like Undertaker comes across my, my desk or whatever, and you saw how the guy came from Japan to give me a copy. Right. And it's a unique story. It was really great. Oh, this is why I love zombies. And this is another one of those. So Zombie Night 1 and 2 were complete shit. The same kind of shit you could see anywhere from all these different indie labels and stuff. They're just terrible movies. And and part of the problem is, is like they don't write good stories. They can't figure out how to end it. They can't make you care about a character or it just looks so bad or this or that, but you know, shit when you see it, right. I don't have to explain to everybody. Right. 
This movie should have been the worst of the worst, but it's not. And what I would tell people is, and I, a lot of Americans have never heard of this, but there's a show in Canada. It's been on since the 80s. There's at least 12 seasons. There's at least three or four movies. There's about 15 specials. It's called the Trailer Park Boys. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I thought the two of them had been writers for the Trailer Park Boys, you know, mm-hmm. uncredited writers. If that's true, it makes perfect sense right. because this movie is literally the Trailer Park Boys without the drugs deciding to make a zombie film during a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It's that sensibility. It's So what happens? In reality, they make Zombie Night and Zombie Night 2, and both were complete flops. So now we're going to talk about the movie Real Zombie. Well, and we have to we have to preface that. Too. The Zombie Night and Zombie Night 2 were like shot on video, no budget like movies, right? These were these yes, were very complete, small. They everything was going against them in the to, to begin complete with. Complete crap. And they 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 delivered what you would expect crappy movies. Right. Right. Okay, so now so, on to this one, right. This movie opens with the two, like one of them going finding the other one and saying, "Let's do a third zombie night." And he's like, "What are you crazy?" He goes, "No, the timing's perfect." Now, this is being done in the form of a mockumentary, a guy following them around with a camera. So it's like, it's a reality mockumentary. The guy's following, and the guy says to Mike Masters, what am I doing? Why'd you get me? He goes, you're going to document this whole thing of, of us making a zombie movie during the real zombie apocalypse. Of course, there's no real zombie apocalypse. So that's where the put-on starts. Right. But their crew... They're actors, they're writers, they're, they're all real people using their real names from the first two Zombie Night movies. And they have to find these guys because everybody's hiding. It's the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> right. And, so, and like they find two guys and they say, well, you've been sitting in this basement for three months? And they go, yeah, we're too afraid to go outside. And they go, oh, there's nothing to worry about. There's people on the street, the, the you know, the soldiers are winning. It'll all be done. We're going to make a zombie movie. You know, I don't want to give every joke away. Right. But it goes on from there. And uh, what I loved about the movie, because it's not really Zombie Night 3, it's Real Zombies, which is the reality version of them trying to make that movie during a zombie apocalypse. Right. It's hilarious like the trailer park boys is hilarious because these guys are so fucking dumb. You go, what the, <laughs> this is great. You know, this is insane. But what I really loved, there's a couple things I really love. There's an underlying horror to the film that never goes away because there is a zombie apocalypse going and they are constantly losing people in right. ways that aren't, it, they don't try and make funny. So you have a juxtaposition between a silly slapstick kind of whatever in real horror. I love that because comedy and horror comedy is even more difficult to pick, to make people laugh is harder than to even scare them. Oh yeah. And I, yeah. I cringe 
when young filmmakers decide for their first project they're going to do a horror comedy. It's like, oh my God, you take the two most difficult things to do and combine them? You're insane. But yet, these guys pull it off. Also, I would say for any young filmmaker that wants to try and make a movie with zero budget, even though they're joking around in their discussions of it, you get to see how they make a movie, what they need. They need a costumes person. They need a, a makeup person. They need a special effects person. They need grips. They need electronics people. They need this. They need that. And they're, you know, it's very funny as, you know, they're collecting this, these people to make this movie. But it's not funny what happened. Right, you know, right, 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 right. Hands. And it reminded me of our movie, which we'll talk about one day, The Indie Worm, in the mm -hmm. sense that it starts out super light and you're laughing and smiling and ends, ends up pretty horrifying. Right, right. Well, and you're right because it's 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 everything is happening around them, and they're not. All the serious stuff is happening on the periphery of the of the film, almost like as it, as it's it's going on. Like you'll they'll be driving, and all of a sudden they'll run into a zombie out of nowhere. They'll just they'll run it. They're kind of showing you that they can come from anywhere. We're really in the zombie apocalypse, and it gives you like breadcrumb trails, like a breadcrumb trail of to show you more and more what's really going on. Don't they even have a, a couple of shots where like a couple of buildings are on fire, like out in the distance? Yes. Yeah. 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 I don't want to give anything away because some of that shit's really fun. Well, right. But it's sort of like, it's, it, I mean, and you know, now that we're coming out of a pandemic, nothing like the zombie apocalypse, of course, but you know, you do kind of get the people getting used to it, a little indifferent, you know, what's going on. And that's, that's sort of a realistic a uh, way that people could could react to this kind of thing, but it's almost like, in spite of it all, they're going to make this this movie. And what I found what I found funny too, and I, I was hoping they would bring this up, is they kind of one of the jokes through the movie is they're kind of going, "Is anybody really going to have an appetite for a zombie movie?" <laughs> you know, with this with yeah, this going this, on, right? <laughs> no, when this apocalypse is over, first of all, they realize. Ain't nobody going to the theaters. Right, right. So they say, one of them says, who's going to want to watch a zombie movie when we finally kill all the zombies? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just, the, the final thing I'll say about it is it's one of those films that's eminently rewatchable, like the trailer park boys. I was just telling somebody. I just finished the, the, the 12 seasons and all the shows are on Netflix right now, the trailer park boys. And I watched it from season one through season 12. And then as soon as it was over, I started watching it again, not to sit and study every episode, but it's perfect stuff to be going on in the background while you're working, whatever. Occasionally right. you hear a funny line. But whenever you look up at the TV, you're entertained. You don't need to be aware of the plot. It's just one entertaining thing after the other. And this film is very similar. Furthermore, every time I watch it, I notice a joke that went by me because there's so many funny things. And it's they don't hit you over the head with it. It's not so much slapstick as it is Canadian deadpan sarcastic humor. Right. Mike Masters is just the master of that 
you know. Yeah, I liked I liked his. I think that I was even telling you earlier too that I liked his character contrasted with the other director that David Francis too, because right. David Francis is this gung ho like every every young director that sends a movie sends me a first movie where they've totally overreached and they've gotten nothing right. Reminds me of Dave Francis. Right. You know, they talk like him, they act like him. So he nailed it perfectly. Right. The overreach and with nothing to show. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, and Mike Masters, he's he's like, he's got a great idea, but he's got nobody to help him carry it out. Right. You know, well and, and dummies. Right. And they took the they took the perceived weaknesses which hurt, I think, the other films and turned them into strengths. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting uh, uh, direction to turn to. When, when you're filmmakers and you've had a couple of movies like they had that obviously didn't do as well or didn't turn out as well, and they're, they seem pretty frank and honest that they're not, just, they're, they're not just being self-effacing. They really believe these movies did not turn out very good. Oh yeah, (laughs) they really seem to believe that, and so so right away you side with them because like yeah they were junk man you know it's like yeah yeah. and then and then like yeah we know so we're gonna try to make a better one we're gonna try to do it better this time it's like oh for God's sake but then it sort of peels away in a real subtle way as the film goes on to what so what draws you in it, it sort of hatches away and you don't care because now you're strapped in for the ride. And you're going. The one yeah. thing I, 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 a little side note, I would say, and I told you this: the, the, the only issue that I would have, and this is what this type of film is. I, I, I'm a little sensitive to the handheld camera stuff, but that's the way these movies are filmed. I just wanted to mention right. that because some people are sensitive to that, and this is a movie that is. It's not found footage per se. It's almost like they were shooting a making of for the movie. And the movie is the making of, like you said. That's it. You hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly what it is. How did how did this come? So so you said this was just a submission. Was that was it yeah. just a submission that came to you in the mail? I, I guess I, I'll be honest. I don't even I don't even remember how we got it. To be honest with you, I I know I've spoken with those guys, and I was so enthusiastic over the film, and you know they were so disappointed with the results. You know. I was going to say, I, I can't be the only person that sees it. I know I'm not because we took that movie to two different film festivals. And when we played it, both audiences stood up and clapped at the end of the movie. But how do you translate that to, to people when they don't know any of the people in it? And it doesn't, I mean, the name is, wasn't great. I don't know if our cover was great and you know people will come to the table and one thing i don't do i don't push movies on people that i know are crap by telling them they're good and one of the reasons is because i don't go after movies that i think are have no redeeming quality that are crap so i sit there and i say if you really want to see something that's funny and horrifying and, and really a surprise great try this movie try this one and they look at me like, yeah, you want my 20 bucks. Yeah, and they set it down and they ask about something else, which, you know, they have seven different copies of, but they want the latest version of it. Right. And, you know, a little part of you dies. You know? Right. 
Well, it's like I said in the last last podcast too, and I've told I, I, I this is this is the way I would articulate. It. Again, I am I am interpreting J- Jerry Chandler's speak here is that Jerry swam through crap so you didn't have to. I will say this. Tim, you're absolutely right and and everything, but I do want to throw this out there. You know, I would never refer to the movies I reject as crap. And I know what you're saying. You're just being general and stuff. But I do want to say to all the young filmmakers out there, you know, look, everybody tries as hard as they can and they put everything into it. And, you know, I'll never say to somebody, look, this was really stinky. I'll say, you know, work a little harder on the ending or, you know, uh, this needs a little bit more of this or that, but please send me your next project because we need more filmmakers. And and if you say something discouraging to these guys at a young age, they might just give up. And, And look at these two guys. The neatest thing about it is they made two such horrible movies. And yet the third one is like it's like wow they got everything right their ideas everything was right they saw their limitations how do i make lemons into lemonade right and you know if people had just told them and maybe they did and these guys were tough enough but if they had been discouraged after the first two films we never would have gotten the third film which for me would have been a loss for everybody else they wouldn't know what i was talking about anyway so you know but yeah, but you know, over the, you know, it's been a number of years and you know, there's quarters where we never even sold a single unit and it's, I don't understand how could trailer park boys be on since the eighties and they're still doing new stuff and nobody has discovered this film. It just makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. And then again, you know, I get all full of myself and I say, gee, I picked this one. Is it, you know, right? Doesn't anybody know the legendary Jerry Chandler picking Indies? But I guess not. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a legend in my own mind, <laughs> right? Well, uh, you can still buy it. I mean, it's still out there. It's it, it, yes. it can still be it can still be purchased and bought, and it's still and it, look these movies hold up too. You know, so it's 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 still relevant. It still holds up. It's it's a fun oh, movie. Very much. So. It's a combination of so. ideas that you might have seen before done in a unique way. And it's it is humorous. It is funny, and they they really they, they don't. It's I'm glad it 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 is what it is, and it isn't a real fun extra feature on a crappy movie disc. Because <laughs> there's been I, I don't want right. I don't want to name names because it's people I know. But I've got a couple movies, and they're fairly bigger movies that the movie's like, oh, it's good, but man, the making of is a great great little documentary film you know it's stuff and I'm, yeah. I'm glad that they they had the wherewithal to, to do it this way so it's it's a cool idea they did pull this one off they pulled it off it does it does work again you know it has that it's from what 2008 i believe um yeah so it's that was when when i mentioned the shaky cam or the found footage cam you know that's when that was real popular too uh so that was my only my only real criticism at all you know, with it, I'm just being honest, but that's just me being sensitive, that kind of stuff. My wife can sit there and Tim, it's not even a criticism because the movie was supposed to be shot. Sure. That's the story of it. Right. So it's just, some people are very sensitive to that motion and you're one of them. Right. So it's not a criticism. It's, It's just, it is what it is. Right. But it was still, it was still fun to, it was still fun to watch. Sometimes I just put my eyes, looked over to the side and it was laughing at the same time. So 
Very, yeah. very humorous. Very good. So, all right, Jerry. Well, so street trash. Uh, that is a. That's one of your titles, man. Like that's one of those movies that that I've I've known you guys for, for for a long time. Right. And then um, real zombies. Uh, you will have these at the upcoming conventions, and you can find them online or on your website. That is correct. Synapse-films.com. Very yes. good. Okay. All right, Jerry. Well, we'll talk to you on the next Synapse Films podcast. Always a pleasure, my friend. As always, thank you, Jerry Chandler. Appreciate the info and the insight uh, and the details to the upcoming 4K releases of Demons and Demons 2. I love those movies. Absolutely love those movies. And I'm going to be really honest. I am looking forward uh, to a new transfer of both of the films. It's making the physical media geek in me just do somersault. So can't wait for that. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for more information, including official street dates. And when they are announced, uh, you can look for us on social media. And of course, the mothership itself, synapsefilms.com. like to welcome to this show Mark Diamond, the Fresh Prince of Darkness from the Dwarves. Hello, Mark. Hey, Tim. How you doing? I'm doing great. I don't know if anyone has noticed this or not, but there's been a pandemic in the world, and uh, we've been on kind of lockdown. But uh, you guys, you did an online performance not too long ago. How did that go? Yeah, you know, it, it, was, it was good for us because, like I said, living so far apart, it was a reason to get together. Mm-hmm. You know, we hadn't played in a year and a half. So there's a reason to get, you know, me personally, you know, a lot of what the dwarves do live is, you know, just the interaction with the audience. Right. Be that negative or positive in our case. <laughs> but that's what makes it kind of exciting. Right. So to do a show without any audience, you know, to me seemed kind of like, eh. But, you know, it was good. We got together for a couple of days in L.A. and played. Mm-hmm. Then we all went up to San Francisco. We did it from the Great American Music Hall, so that's a nice venue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and San Francisco's done really well with their numbers, so we were able to have people who are so, you know enough friends come down and stuff that it didn't feel like you were playing for nobody, right? And um, yeah, you know, I mean, for, for what I've never watched anybody's live stream, mm-hmm. um, so but you know, I, I think we made it entertaining. Well, if you had a good time. And if you actually got together and got to turn the amp on and make some noise again, I know we've been, my band's been doing that a little bit more too, and it's cathartic to say the least. It's feeling pretty nice. Yeah, it's been such a long time for playing, you know. Yeah. It's like, so it was nice that same week that we got together, um, I had written a song for Richie Ramone from the Ramones, and yeah. I went into the studio for the first time. He learned to record it for a single. So, you know, after not doing anything, I mean, I've been doing projects with people where they'd send me music, I would play on it or change it or arrange it or write them stuff and, you know, send it back, you know, all, you know, via email and mm-hmm. whatever. But uh, it, it, was, it was a nice week to actually play a live show and go into a studio and do some recording and stuff like that. So. You know, that week was the first time I'd been on a plane in, in a year and a half. Oh, right, right, right. Which, of course, I I, I completely forgot how to fly. 
I got to take my shoes off? You know, it's like, wait, we're taking shoes off? Why is that? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, wait a minute. I was supposed to check in earlier? Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> bringing a bottle, a bottle of bourbon on the plane with you. I can't, <laughs> I can't bring I can't bring a cocktail. Hey, there's a beverage involved here, man. You know, <laughs> right. so. Right. Excellent. Well, you've been busy. And uh, you've been busy watching Street Trash, too, because we're going to talk about some Street Trash from 1987. Uh, yeah, so I'm looking at the, the Synapse uh, roster of films, and I, I want to have my buddy Mark Diamond on the show talking about a movie, and that was the exact first one that jumped out at me. So I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment, but it definitely jumped out at me for sure to talk about. So 1987 Street Trash. Uh, I know you've seen this movie before. So what I'd like to know first is how did you become acquainted with the film Street Trash? Well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I can't remember how I first came upon it. I, I certainly didn't see it in, in a theater because mm-hmm. um, I don't think it ever really got like a proper re- release or at least got a theater. So I must have probably come across it um, on video maybe on VHS. Mm-hmm. I, I'd been aware of it for a long time, certainly before I started getting DVDs. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, I'm assuming this was a, a video store thing that obviously kind of <laughs> right, would have right. caught my eye. Now, Tim, I, I have a question for you, because I've seen the movie now, you know, when it's on Blu-ray and stuff like that, and the little blurbs about it will say, like, the movie that started the melt craze or the melt film craze. Mm. I watch a lot of weird movies. With the exception of the incredible Melting Man, I can't think of any other movies where people melt. Was was this a thing that I missed? There's a the, movie. The, the there was a movie from Australia called Body Melt, uh, which is similar. I guess you could consider the stuff a little melty, maybe. About, yeah, that's that's the only other one I could really think of. Right, right. It's a, it's a. I, I don't re- really remember a melt film craze, but maybe I'm not. <laughs> That's true. So it's a, it's definitely a small niche of films, I would think too. <laughs> the effects are hard. That's the first thing that always jumped out about this movie to me is a, a an eccentric labor of love with some of the most colorful, over the top, practical effects I think I've ever seen. Uh, brashly thrown at you in a very low-budget film. You know, it's interesting. I, I wonder, um, like, I remember seeing Evil Dead, and I saw that in the theaters as a kid, you know, whenever mm-hmm. that came out. Um, and I know that a lot of that, since they were doing a, a full theatrical release, they were, when they ran afoul of censors or whatever, it was, they were told, don't make the blood always red. Right. So you have a lot of, like, black goo and the blue goo and stuff like that. I wonder if that's one of the reasons. However, in that Synapse release of um, Street Trash, there's a great, uh, God, it's like two hours long, like a two-hour-long documentary about the whole right. uh, production and making of the film. And they go into, um, I can't remember her name, the woman who did the effects. And uh, basically, you know, she was told you know, by the director that they want this to be like this crazy color palette. Mm-hmm. If you do everything in real gore, blood, and guts, that's where you kind of run afoul. Yeah, right. Having right. somebody explode in purples and pinks probably, you know, makes it a little bit easier as far as, like, you know, the sensor boards and whatnot. Right. right. But, yeah, you know, the, the colors in the movie are, are, are really pretty great. You know, it's it, uh, it kind of, that movie is sort of like the movie version. What, what was that thing we had as a kid? The, spy, uh, the, the thing that would spin around and you put the paint on it? 
but I can't spin art. It was called spin art. So to me, street trash kind of looks like, like, you know, the, the hobo gory version of spin art. Right. Right. Street trash. You know, a lot of people, if you say, Hey, it's a movie about, you know, homeless people, not told in a kind light. These are mean, angry drunks who rape and murder and are bad people who happen to start getting some bad booze and melting. A lot of people are going to say, well, that's probably not for me, but it's actually a pretty good movie. Yeah. And the other thing too, which has to be mentioned, the guy, I can't remember his name now, uh, the guy who shot the film, Mm -hmm. he ended up being like the, you know, steady cam go-to guy. Right. Jim Morrow. Yeah, yeah. So he ended up working on like all the James Cameron stuff, Dances with Wolves and whatever. He's, he's had a huge career. I guess this, this was pretty early on with Steadicam, but he's like the guy now. Like if you need good Steadicam work, you go to this guy. So the movie's shot really well. It opens with that cool Steadicam camera scene of the I'm going down the street to the liquor store. And, right. You know, the movie, again, like, you know, just content wise, this isn't going to appeal to everybody, but it, it's, you know, it, it's a well put together film. Right, and then and then the, the there's a study cam also that goes through some of the junkyard because the, a lot of the movie takes place, of course, on dilapidated city streets and things. But then there's a junkyard where all of the the, the homeless people kind of congregate, and they make like houses out of stacked up tires. And there's a there's like I mean like there's a whole like little community of right and and the other thing too you know with a lot of movies of this nature you know somebody has found a junkyard and go okay we're filming here if you actually watch that documentary which uh, i think it's called like melted memoirs or something like Mm -hmm. that it's on the blu-ray you know all those things you know i mean they sketched it out first i mean they had artists you know drawing like what they you know and then they went and made it so you know a a lot of films on budgets like these just kind of like okay we found a place that looks sort of like what we need and we'll shoot it there but, you know, a lot of these things were uh, storyboarded out, right? you know, conceived and whatever, and they did it. So, I mean, you know, the, the art, the actual art that went into this movie is, <laughs> you know, it's actually really good. It is. It is. And actually, the, the documentary you're talking about was made by Roy Frumkus, who was the writer of Street Trash. You know him because he's the pie-in-the-face zombie in Dawn of the Dead. Right. And he's a a guy who gets the melt dripped on his face. Yeah, the business guy. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah. And then I think he was a writer on the the Substitute movies. Yeah, and he did that documentary document of the dead about all the Romero films. Yes, which actually was one of Synapse's first releases. And, you know, it's interesting, too. Like I said, that that documentary about it, they talked to almost, with the exception of uh, the girl who played Wendy, Mm -hmm. they talked to almost everybody who's in the movie, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the guy who plays the, the police officer, Bill, Bill Chappelle, Chappelle, whatever his name was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that character is very interesting, too. You know, there's that, I, the scene that I always remembered more than anything the first time I saw it is that, you know, he's beating up some guy or whatever. And he is the hitman. He's the hitman challenges him to a fight or he's uh-huh. going to shoot him. Uh-huh. He said, well, why, why don't we just fight? You know, like, you know <laughs> on it. Right. We'll fight it out. So he, he beats him up and after he's knocked him down, he shoves his finger down his throat and pukes on. Right. <laughs> and I, I remember I saw that. And I go, wow, you know, there's something I've never seen in a movie. You know, because <laughs> this is also, you know, this is the good guy. This is the cop. You right. Know, the guy. Right. And, you know, and, you know, he, he's one. And then it just as an act of complete, you know, degradation, he, he, he pukes on the guy. You know, <laughs> right. the other guy who's, you know, you know, the protagonist who's like, quote unquote, good guy. 
the guy who plays the the main. Uh, oh yeah, Mike Bob, Lackey. Mike Lackey. Yep. Mike Lackey. Fred. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's the one he's supposed to have sympathy for. You know, he's one of the nicer bums. Right. You know, he also you know takes a very drunk girl coming out of a restaurant back to the junkyard, fucks her, and then leaves her for the rest of the homeless people who right. murder her and kill her and rape her. Right. So. You know, even the people, you know, there's an interesting thing in that sense that these are the two people that are, are clearly defined as the good ones. Right. You know. Right. The movie's moral compass is definitely on the fritz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just like, especially, yeah, Mike Lackey's character, you know, he's the one, you know. Right, He's right. the guy, oh, you know, he's, he's going to save the day. He's the good guy, but, yeah, you know, he's... <laughs> He's not exactly perfect himself. You no. know? So there's, there's some interesting choices made in the movie. If we're talking about characters, and what I, I, the best scenes are, are between um, the mafia guy and, and, and the doorman. Yeah. Tony Darrow and James Lorenz. And, you know, apparently that was written, but they, they started that Those scenes are amazing. You know, mm-hmm. Tony Darrow, you know, he was the guy who's in Goodfellas. He's the one right. who owns the restaurant. Where you know, they, you know, that basically he brings up, you know, the mob as the partners, they just charge shit up and then they torch the place. Right, right. You know, he, he's the one who goes to, to Polly in Goodfellas. I don't know what to do about this Tommy guy. Well, well, you could kill him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. You know? Right, right, right. So, and then I don't know what else that James Lorenz guy, but he, he's fantastic at He was in Frankenhooker. That right. I really enjoyed, and I really enjoyed him in it. I have to watch that again. I, I, I know I saw it, but I haven't seen it in years. And I can't really remember it. What's another Synapse release? It's good. He's good in it. And he has that same kind of smarmy jackass kind of uh, dismissive attitude, you know, in it too. And it works really well for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought, you know, I mean, acting wise, character wise, even though he has a very small role, I think originally he was only supposed to have one line, but they just loved whatever he was doing. Right. You know, even when he's talking to Mike Black, he's like, you're bummed. Look at you. You're disgusting. <laughs> right. right. smell? What's this? You know, just all those things. He just added. He's great. Like you said, he has that swarmy, dismissive thing. For me, the best scenes in, in Street Trash are, are his two scenes. I think they're really good. And, yeah, it makes me want to go uh, watch Frank and Ducker again right away. because I, I really enjoy him a lot. He's great. And it's fun, funny, too, because the movie, it, it feels like they left stuff like that in the movie and sacrificed some of the narrative because the narrative is gone almost. I mean, it's, you know, that they're buying this, this Viper stuff that's making people melt. And that's really about as far as it goes. You know where it came from, at least locale wise in the film. And that's it. And again, in, in that documentary that you're talking about, they do mention that how they edited a lot of the narrative out of the story because it is it is so disjointed, but this is one of those movies where it's so it's so colorful and there's so much eye candy that the bizarre narr- the, the the bizarre narrative it, that's disjointed at best almost adds to the bizarre feel of the film, the atmosphere of it. It, it helps put you in like in a completely different dream state, a fever dream state, I guess. Um, right. I so it's one of those movies where it's great in spite of itself. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, plot-wise, there's a drink. People are melting. It doesn't really go any further than that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I guess, you know, um, which which I think maybe, you know, the only real subplot is, you know, the hitman who's sent by the gangster you know, because the bum 
took his girl. And, and you're struggling you know? to even find that. And there was well, there was yeah. also the there was also the the like the, the Mike Lackey. There's a younger character who lives in the uh, who who built himself one of the houses of tires, and he's the younger brother of Fred of Mike Lackey's character. In the movie, I think the story was supposed to center more around those two characters as an older brother and younger brother in the salvage yard. And then that's right. why you have a little bit of the, the, the romance between the Wendy character and, and Fred's little brother's character, which already is odd because he's supposed to be playing, I believe, like a 15-year-old. The, 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 yeah, so it's, it's already like kind of off-center. And then you get all these other bizarre characters coming in and out of frame almost in every scene to the point where it feels like a wild west ensemble where you just never know who's going to walk on next. But part of that keeps you off of your off balance so much that it actually lends to the enjoyment because it does keep you off balance. Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's just kind of, very simple plot, but you have some colorful characters. Some of them work better than others. Right. I like the uh, the junkyard owner guy. He's uh, great. He's great. What's yeah, it? Pat Ryan, I think his name is. He was a fat guy from Toxic Avenger and class of, of Nukem High. He's also in the movie. Have you ever seen Eat and Run? No. Oh, okay. He's in that too. You might want to seek that out. I have no idea if it's ever been released uh, beyond maybe VHS or anything, but he was in that film too. And from my recollection, he is uh, him, a large man, but he's also some kind of alien that goes around with these like sharp teeth and he kills people. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I did notice a little bit the camera work in this is good. And although Jim Moreau, Jim Morrow, who you already said, you know, he's, he's really known as a, as a study cam guy and has worked on all of these huge, huge Oscar-winning movies and everything, like they said, especially Cameron stuff, you really feel that the camera is important. You really feel like this movie was shot really, really good. The colors are all coming through, and it really works really well, and the whole thing just keeps up the eye candy quotient so that the weird narrative it never really seems to get in the way. But again, some of that stuff rolling through like um, – the the cam one that really got me was the one going through the, the salvage yard. That really reminded me of somewhere between Evil Dead and like Wolfen almost in a way. Right, yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring up Wolfen because I kind of get uh, the, the same feel from that, you know, the the, the, the where they shot Wolfen. Right. That, that really, not to go on a tangent here. What, what, what year did Wolfen come out? 81. Okay, so 81, I would have been 13. Mm-hmm. That movie freaked me out, not so much because the wolves were killing people. I just couldn't believe. I didn't, you know, I I lived in L.A., you know. I've been to downtown in South L.A. You know, I've seen areas that are kind of run down. I freaked out as a kid finding out that that's what the Bronx looked like. You know what I mean? When I saw Wolfen as, as a kid, I just go, oh, they must have filmed this in Beirut or somewhere like that. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, yeah. honestly, that's what I thought. I mean, I, I was like 12 or 13. My dad took me to see it. And then I, it was probably through Fangoria magazine because that's the only way we learned about movies like this. As a kid, I read that pretty religiously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I found out this was shot in the Bronx. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, the Bronx is New York. You know, I have relatives from the Bronx, but that really freaked me out. Just how you know bombed out it looked. You know what I mean? Right. 
right street crash you know and that's how you know that there's some thought going into it that those steady cam shots to the junkyard they, they couldn't have just been someone running through you know if, if you do it that way you run out or whatever those were well-planned shots yeah. you know what i mean yeah you know the same thing the opening shot in the movie of the which reminded me of a lot of the evil dead you know with the camera going down the street going right. around the corners and going into the, the liquor store you know i mean everybody thinks oh i could get a camera we can shoot our own movie and whatever but you know th- those are clearly well planned out shots, and in that melted memoirs doc, you can see that they storyboarded a lot of this out. You know, mm-hmm. and it's you know that's what really makes the movie feel good is I, I think is that camera work and and artistic you know intent that they had, which I think comes through. You know, as, as opposed to just kind of a cheap gooey movie. Right, right. That those those scenes kind of they kind of reminded me of Wolfen. Right, right, and 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 it's there's no there's no connection whatsoever. I think, and I know you're, I know you know that, but just just for the audience, there's no connection. It there, but there's those little moments that that was the first thing I thought of. It was the first thing I thought of watching the camera go through the the salvage yard. But those are pieces of, for lack of a better word, right now, class that people knew what yeah. they were doing in this movie. I mean, they they knew it's, what they were exactly. doing. It's it's and it's so. It's almost hard to wrap your head around the fact that people who actually knew what they're doing made this film, <laughs> made, made made street trash. You know, you're like, huh? They really knew what yeah, they were well, doing and came up with this. You know, and sometimes you wonder, okay, who comes up with this stuff? And then you see these guys and you look at their credits and you're like, these are serious adults. <laughs> they came up with yeah, this. You know, and that's the thing, you know. I mean, I mean, I love these kind of little, these little weird movies mm-hmm. and cheapy movies. But you can tell the ones, just like when you watch Evil Dead, you know, when you watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, these aren't just throwaway shots. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You know, there's somebody thought up the angle to shoot all this stuff and frame it and block it, and and it works. And, and you can tell that. You know, there's a big difference between watching a movie like that and something that's just you know just shot on the fly that just looks terrible. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, the, the scenes of uh, Bronson's flashbacks, mm-hmm. that kind of reminded me of the opening scene from The uh, the Exterminator mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. 1980. You know, to me, visually, this is kind of the way they set that up. That sort of gave me that thing. But, you know, just there's movies that you can tell there's real art involved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You watch like Guillermo del Toro movies, you know, you just tell that every single color has been thought out. Everything, anything that's in the camera has been thought out. Of course, you know, he's a huge established filmmaker, you know what I mean? Right. He's making art. But you see this in little movies, too. You know, like the, uh, I was telling you the other day, I watched Night Train Murders, which was like the Italian's answer, The Last House on the Left. Right. You know, which basically is a very rapey, ugly <laughs> exploitation movie. Sure. But even in that movie, you can tell that they've thought about colors. You know, blue is always popping up. There's scenes, you know, where everything is kind of blue, you know, where people just, you know, the, the, just, you know, the same thing with Street Trash. You can tell, okay, this is going to be an ugly, grimy movie, but there's real art and talented people that are involved in it. The movie that pissed me off more than anything the last few years was that movie Lady Bird. A couple of years ago, it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh-huh. I don't know if you saw that. And, I haven't seen it, no. you know, they, made, they made a big deal that it was a um, female director, and she had hired an all-female crew. And I think that's great. I love There's lots of female directors that I really enjoy. Sure. And whatever, but they made a big point of that. But the movie looks like shit. Uh-huh. It just looks like shit. There's not one scene that has an interesting camera movement. There's not, doesn't seem that whole movie, just everything just seems like 
and again, this was nominated for Best Picture. You know, right, I mean, everybody right. raved about this film, and Laurie Metcalf's in it, a lot of talented people. But I just remember watching it, just going, "This is the most uninspiring thing I've ever seen." It just seems like they just shot it wherever with whatever they were wearing, right? And I, I, I just, I can see no visual art in it. You know what I mean? Sure, right. And and, and I can see visual art in street trash. You know, you can mm-hmm. see it in Evil Dead. You can see it in these movies. You know, you know where just everything's. You know, if you watch The Shape of Water, the color red is never in the film until she falls in love. And then when she falls in love, suddenly you see her shoes are red or her dress is red. Right. You know, and right. that Ladybird movie, you know, it, you know, it wasn't a horrible film, you know, story wise or acting wise, but it just looked horrible. Every camera shot was stagnant. The color palette is just horrible. There's no movement to anything. It's like, you know, when you can look at a movie like Street Trash and immediately from the opening scene go, Okay, somebody somewhat talented to slap the scene out. You know, to me that says a lot. Right. It's almost like a movie that was made for people who who can identify the difference between the good and the bad Italian films. Right. Yeah. And you know, a lot, I mean, I love those Italian films. Some right. of them are complete crap. Right. And other ones, it's like, all right, you can tell. Even though it's a horrible, ugly, rapey movie, right? On a train, like Night Train Murders, that this director really. Thought about colors. And right. Thought about you know you know framing and blocking and well you know. right and that's the thing because like the untrained uh, I don't want to say untrained eye but someone who let's say is not as as insane as we are into like all these movies and stuff they might watch an Italian film like Suspiria and then never see any differences between something I don't even want to I don't even know what else, other movie to mention but a real crap like you know, Giallo movie or maybe a really bad cannibal movie or something, something that right. is barely known. They might not see much of a difference because they both see something gory dubbed. So as immediately, as soon as something's dubbed, you think the acting is bad and, and you kind of just, you don't see the differences, but when you have watched enough of these, you see the differences. Street trash is technically and artistically just looks and feels better. It seems like some movies, they, they, they're in a location or they're doing something and they see an opportunity and they jump on it and they do it and they get it in the can. They get it on camera. Nothing wrong with that. That's a, that's same. Raimi would tell you that if it's there, use it. If it's, you know, put it in camera, if anything you can use, use. However, there's also movies where they're not doing that. If that makes any sense, these, these, like you were saying earlier, this was all, pre-planned it was all set up it doesn't feel like there's a lot of moments in this film except for some of the dialogue but as far as the action and the effects and things that are happening it feels like that was all well planned and staged and everything too and and i think people who watch enough of these movies that's what grabs us into this film because i watched i was on vacation when i saw us the very first time i went up to beaver creek colorado with, with Angie, with, with my wife. And it was one of our first little vacations together, just to get away somewhere. And I, I love Colorado. So we, and I'd never been to the Vale area per se. So we went to Beaver Creek, which is by there, and kind of drove around, just went and did places. Well, this was, I don't know, let's say 2003. Now, back then, you would take a little CD case of maybe DVDs and and you know music with you or something and like a little portable dvd player to look at on the plane or something like that street trash happened to be one of the discs that i had brought that i had but hadn't watched yet and one day angie wasn't feeling very good and so she was taking a nap in the hotel room i was kind of bored 
So I was looking through stuff and I threw in street trash thinking, well, this will take five minutes off my time and then I'll find something else. I just want to look at it, see what it was all about. Well, it was one of those movies where I started watching it. It did not get shut off at all. And I was like, what the hell am I looking at? You know, I didn't expect what I was seeing. I expected something was happening to people and they were getting killed, you know, or something. Just, just your normal thing. But this movie is so much more and so insane and just as eccentric as hell and clearly a labor of love. I couldn't take my eyes off it at all. And where some movies become taxing and can kind of, you have to stop them sometimes and come back to them. You kind of lose your interest. This one grabs you, you know, and doesn't let you go. Of- there's a lot of movies that you forward through certain parts, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you don't do that with street trash. You know, there's movies, you know, which I actually, Hey, I, I love that movie Slithis. It's terrible. You know what I mean? Right, right. I love it. But you know, you, you can forward through a lot of that dialogue, you know, you can forward through a lot of that movie. There's another good example of a movie that it said, Hey, let's shoot it in, in a, down in like Venice beach, California, everything's there that we need. Right. Right. <laughs> you, know, right. you can tell that nobody, you know, put one thought into anything else. I like it. I watch it every couple of years. You know, I enjoy right. it. It's good, whatever. But you can forward through it. Street trash. You don't forward through anything because you don't want to miss anything. Right. Be it dialogue or something visual. It's all pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. You know, and and you can't say that of a lot of movies like that. You know, like I said, there's movies that I really enjoy, but still, you know, all right, you just don't need to watch the next twenty minutes. You're seeing it and it goes nowhere. <laughs> right. Bad acting and it doesn't look good. Street trash looks good, and yeah, you know, it's you know, you, you don't forward through it. It's fun, and it's just way out there. Well, anyone anyone who's followed me, me in a podcast at all has has probably heard me and Mark discuss another film called Mako, <laughs> Jaws of Death. This has a very similar like you can't take your eyes off the screen because you have no idea what the hell's going to happen next and where this is going. It just you cannot you cannot tear yourself away from it. So I like that about films. To me, if if you can't get up. If you've got to see what's happening next, that that's a success, especially for a film like this. So. Yeah, I do. Excellent. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, we're going to have you back on again here the eh, a couple episodes or so to talk about another one of the Synapse films in the catalog. But I definitely appreciate you taking the time and talking about Street Trash with us. Hey, thank you for having me, Tim. Appreciate it. And that's all she wrote for the second episode of the Synapse Films Podcast. Uh, Thank you, Jerry Chandler, once again, for helping me to open up the show and all the information. Cannot wait for Demons and Demons 2 to come out on 4K. I'm licking my chops for that one for sure. Uh, Thank you again, Mark Diamond, the fresh prince of darkness himself from the Dwarves for chatting with me about Street Trash. His insight and observations on the film was much appreciated, so we will talk to him again soon. And if you have not listened to The Dwarves or seen them live, I suggest that you do. 
Great band, and it's a great show as well. You can go to thedwarves.com to find out any upcoming dates when they might be coming to your area and also when they have some new music out. And do not forget Flashback Weekend up in Chicago, July 30th to August 1st. Flashbackweekend.com. Come and say hello to myself and everyone at the Synapse Table. And remember, if you have any questions or comments pertaining to the podcast, you can email me at tim at synapsefilms.com. It was an honor and a pleasure to be your tour guide on this journey into all things Synapse Films. Until we meet again, be safe, be good to each other, and be right back here next time for the next episode of the Synapse Films Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Synapse Films Podcast. We couldn't be here without you, the fans. So from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for your continuing support of Synapse Films.